Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money. In the dog days of summer through the October Classic, Greg Bases Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to MLB Overtime, the betting edition. Greg Peterson broadcasting from the Azuni Tequila Studios out here in Las Vegas. We've got a great show for you as in the final segment we're going to touch them all where I go through every game on the Vegas betting board and give you a side and total on every one of them. Jared Willis of Sporting News is going to be joining me in the second segment. Going to give me a little bit of a season overview and everything like that. Going to be a lot of fun. I really didn't get too many questions for the podcast. So if you have any questions as to betting philosophy, anything like that, tweet them in at June More than happy to answer them. But I do feel like something that's worth getting into in this first segment is the value of the run line. Because something that we noticed on opening day is if you took run lines, you've got a whole lot of bang for your buck because what I noticed is that on opening day, out of the 15 games, 14 of them were decided by multiple runs. The only game that came down to a one-run game was the Brewers being able to knock off the St. Louis Cardinals by a count of 5-4, to four, which, by the way, that was a very, very thrilling game. It's not like I recommend always going in run line or anything like that, but Something that I do notice is that run lines can be very profitable for you if you take them throughout the year with the favorite. If you take them with the underdog, I just don't see a lot of value in it unless if you're getting like a massive, massive underdog. Like say the Royals are getting $3 against the Yankees and you think that they they might lose the game like 5-4. to four. Then you maybe take a look at it, but with just a normal spread, I do not recommend run lines with underdogs, but 
If you were taking them with the favorites, they were really cashing. I was on a couple of them yesterday. The LA Dodgers were able to get eight home runs against the Arizona Diamondbacks. It was a game that I was either going to look at the underdog or I was going to look at the run line. Thank goodness gracious, I went with the LA Dodgers on the run line. That wound up paying off. The Astros were a team that I did not take on the run line, but they were able to get a nice win there. Cubs were able to do so. And it's something I might look to a little bit more this year. It always stings when you wind up laying that run and a half and you only win the game by one run. But with that said, what I do notice is that you're able to get a bunch of nice plus prices. I can even take a look at the Yankees game yesterday. Yankees were able to knock off the Orioles 7-2. I felt like that was a pretty no-brainer play. If you were looking at the Yankees, you were either laying minus 380 to minus $4. Whereas if you took the run line, it was more like minus 180, I would like to say, in a lot of spots. I know that some might have been 190, some might have been more like 175, but you were able to get a massive juice savings right there. And as bad as it sounds, sometimes we're going to be wrong on our picks. I had the Red Sox on the run line myself. Rather than laying about $2, I thankfully took the run line, so I only lost what I would normally lose on, like, essentially a normal even spread game so that was very good for me so it is one of those things I do highly recommend in regards to baseball and I did think that there were some big takeaways from opening day I already went through the Brewers versus the St. Louis Cardinals game I think that the NL Central is just going to be so hellaciously tough this year I think that any road win that you could get is going to be hard to come by and what was really striking to me is the fact that both Miles Michaelis and Ulysses Jassin got roughed up in this game They both gave up three-run innings in the first three innings, and then things really calmed down from there. Both these teams have very good bullpens. That's something I'm going to look to right there. As we can tell, the Mets don't necessarily have great bats, but Robinson Cano was able to hit a home run in his first game as the Mets were able to get the job done against the Nationals 2-0. Max Scherzer just continues to not get a whole lot of run support, and I think the Nationals were overvalued coming into the year, and maybe a team that was undervalued, the Seattle Mariners, as they moved to 3-0, they were really able to get to the Boston Red Sox early and often. Boston is able to get off to a 2-0 lead, and then the Mariners get seven runs in the second and third inning combined between those two, and then they were able to just pull away from there. This is a team that They've done a very good job with Jerry DePoto running the show. You can tell that a lot of the moves that he's making have really been paying off for this team. So perhaps the Seattle Mariners can be the Oakland A's of last year. Ironically enough, they play in the same division. And then another thing that really stood out is what are we going to get out of Blake Snell this year? He got a bit touched up against the Houston Astros as they were able to win that game 5-1. So I thought there were a whole lot of interesting results, including the fact that the White Sox, uh, they just appear to not be on the come up. They lose their game to the Kansas City Royals, who I still think have absolutely nothing out there in regards to their lineup 5-3. So that was obviously a bad look for this White Sox team as the relief pitching really let down Carlos Rodon, and so did the defense. Another unearned run gets played by the White Sox, and that's something that you really do need to take a look at in your handicapping. We always take a look at the starting pitching and everything like that, but the White Sox last year were just awful on defense, and it's something that we sometimes lose sight of because we always think, ah, oh, these guys are going to make these can of corn pop-ups and everything like that. There are just some teams that defensively, They give up more runs than others. There are some teams that are very sure-handed in the field. There are other teams that fundamentally are complete and utter morons, like the Chicago White Sox. The Reds are a team that I always look at as a team that I really cannot trust out there in the field as well. And that's something that you do have to take a look at in your handicapping. 
when you're handicapping these baseball games, you do have to take a look at the defense. You have to take a look at splits and everything like that. And I feel like more of those come as the season goes on because you can always rely on history and past years and everything like that. But I feel like every year is its own living, breathing entity. And obviously we need a little bit more statistical information, especially when you take a look at young guys. You can't base a young guy off of just a very small sample size. But with that said, as the season goes along, you have to try to take a look at some of these things that are developing and try to make your handicapping from there. And as a team that has really come together and they put out their very good one-game sample size, how about the Philadelphia Phillies? Out of all the teams with the big acquisitions in the offseason, they seem to have made the most moves. You bring in JT Riomuto, Andrew McCutcheon, Gene Segura, and Bryce Harper. All four of those guys, by the way, hitting in the top five of the lineup, and they were able to shell the Atlanta Braves 10-4 to in that one. Even though Bryce Harper went hitless in his first game, this is a team that really had their dividends paid off early as Andrew McCutcheon was able to hit a solo shot in this game. JT Riomuto was able to give this team a run. He didn't necessarily have a hit, but with that said, he's very sure-handed behind the plate as well. So I do think that that's going to be very interesting there. And like I said, I always love being able to jump into these topics like the discussion of taking run line versus money line. So if you have any sort of these questions, always happy to answer them on the podcast at square 81 With this being a daily podcast, no shortage of days to be able to get into these topics. So always feel free to tweet them in. And let's get a little bit of a takeaway from a gentleman that works for the Sporting News, Jared Wills. We're going to talk a little bit about the season. We had this conversation before opening day, so we're not going to be reacting to any of the day one games, but we're going to be giving you some information on some teams with some good bullpens. We're going to be giving you some young pitchers to look at and some teams that fade as well. That is coming up next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. Welcome back to MLB Overtime Betting. It is a great pleasure to be joined by our next guest as we are back here in the Azunia Tequila Studios out in Las Vegas. Jared Willis does a great job out there for a variety of publications. He is an MLB writer for Sporting News, Forbes, and Chicago Meg. You can find him on Twitter at jwillis. That is spelled J-W-Y. L-L-Y-S. So a little bit of a different spelling on Willis. Just always want to make sure people are aware and people are able to find you because, Jared, you do some spectacular work, and I appreciate you joining me today. Well, thanks for that, and uh, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk about the start of the baseball season. Me too. This is something I've been geared up for for so long. First couple days of the season, always so exciting. You've got all these teams with aspirations of winning 162 games, and myself out here being a better, I'm always looking to win some money. Obviously, the teams that win a lot, like the Boston Red Sox, the Los Angeles Dodgers, towards the second half of the season last year, towards the first, first half, uh, they didn't go so well. But with that said, towards the second half of the year, they were good bet on teams. Who are a couple teams this year that you think are just going to knife through their division and really going to be able to threaten 100 wins? Well, 100 wins, I honestly, I don't know that any team is going to reach that mark this year. I think it's just going to be too tough. The, the two teams, um, two of the teams that did it last year, Boston and New York, their divisions, they're going to beat up on each other a little too much this year. So I don't know if I'm betting for a team to get 100 wins. I don't, I don't know that I would, uh, I would bet on anybody. Again, it's not that the teams are worse than they were last year. I think their, their competition has just gotten harder. But that being said, I think Cleveland's got an easy path through their division. So if you want to pick like an easy, I think the easiest bet you can make is on the AL Central division winner, and that's going to be Cleveland. Uh, they probably won't win 100 games, but 
Uh, I just don't see anybody in that division putting up a fight at all. I do agree with you there. The Twins have upped their roster a little bit in the offseason, but you're out there with the Chicago White Sox. I think that this is just going to be a bad year for the White Sox. They've been signing up a bunch of younger players. We all know that Kopech is not going to be in this season. He's rehabbing from the injury that he unfortunately suffered last year. You've got a bunch of young guys out there. And the Chicago White Sox, in my opinion, are taking a very similar approach to what the Astros did a few years ago. They're just looking to draft and develop a lot of guys out there in their farm system. I feel like this is a White Sox team that's going to be in for a long year. Yeah, it's going to be another tough season to watch in a lot of ways in Chicago. The one good thing I think that White Sox fans will have to look forward to will be the fact that they extended Eloy Jimenez and he's going to be on the, the roster from opening day forward. And so Sox fans will have a chance to see Jimenez on a daily basis, which I think is is probably going to be their lone bright spot for the year. I mean, there's a, you know a few other things, but looking to see if Yon Moncada can cut down on his strikeouts and get a little more aggressive. Jose Abreu is always going to do what he does. But really, there's just not a lot. You're right. There's just not a lot to get too excited about. And as an organization, they're hoping that their plan of trading off a lot of their best players and and just pilfering the minor league systems of other organizations is going to pay off here in the next couple of years, maybe next year or the year after when they get Kopech back and some of these young guys start coming up and get some experience under their belt. But in the meantime, we're looking at a, yeah, like a 75 win team, maybe if things go well. Yeah, I certainly think that it's going to be difficult for the White Sox as Jared Willis joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And when you take a look at the landscape of baseball in general, we always see a couple of these starting pitchers just come out of nowhere and they have big performances. Blake Snell last year, textbook example of that. I think a lot of people knew that Blake Snell was going to have a good year. I don't think anyone thought he was going to be Cy Young good last year. Or a couple of young pitchers that you see being able to take a step forward this year. Yeah, I think I'm going to stick in the in my neck of the woods in the NL Central Division. So I think there's two guys to keep an eye on there. One is uh, Jack Flaherty on the Cardinals. I think he would be someone I would be keeping a very close eye on as a starting pitcher for them. Young guy with, with some major league experience under his belt already, but this looks to be the season where he, he's really going to get the opportunity to show just how good he is. On the other side of that, I think up in Milwaukee, the Brewers have a couple of guys slated to be in their rotation this year, Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. Again, both guys with some major league experience, but neither has really spent significant time in the rotation. And so both will be, as of now, are, are expected to be getting some starts for Milwaukee to start out the season. And so those are two guys I think worth keeping an eye on as well. Um, if you're looking to track those young starters looking to break out, those are a few guys I'd keep an eye on. I do agree with you there. And I am intrigued by this Milwaukee Brewers team because they do re-sign Mike Moustakis. We saw them have a tremendous end to the year last year. Obviously, the outfield with Lorenzo Kane and Christian Yelich is so good. But the division itself is brutal. Even the Pittsburgh Pirates, who are projected to be towards the bottom of the division, I would argue they've got some good pieces with Jamison Tyon. I'm not necessarily high on Chris Archer, but at the same time, he still is a pretty quality pitcher. You've got some bats out there that are able to swing for the fences, hit some home runs. What do you make out of this division in general? Because I still feel like the Cubs are probably a slight favorite, but with the Cardinals being able to get Paul Goldschmidt and the Brewers being on the come up that they are, I think that this division is just going to be brutal. Oh, that's, yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
I mentioned the AL East earlier as, as a brutal division. I think the NL East is going to be really tough as well, but I still think that the hardest division in baseball is the NL Central this year. And the margin for error for teams like the Cubs has gotten a lot smaller. Um, the Cubs were able in the last couple of seasons, like 2017 in particular, to start off slowly and then really turn it on in the second half and then end up winning the division fairly easily. Because in 2017, I believe they had like a 43 and 45 record at the all-star break. And then they just really kicked it into gear in, you know, July, August, September, and it worked. But like we saw last year, even though they won 95 games, it still wasn't quite enough because Milwaukee just got red hot in September. So the division's so tough because you, you have to get it just right. You've got to be just about perfect um, in order to win that division. And I think any one of those three teams of the Cubs, Cardinals, or Brewers, you could pick it, you know, flip a coin or draw a name out of a hat. Any one of those teams could win that division. Um, and, and I wouldn't disagree with you um, if you were making a prediction there. And, and like you mentioned, the Pirates are, are good enough that they're going to make things difficult. And then, of course, there's the Cincinnati Reds, who I think had one of the better off seasons of any team in baseball. The trade they made to bring in Yaziel Puig and Matt Kemp, Sonny Gray, who's looked good in spring in a lot of his starts. I don't think they're contenders for the division at this point, but they also are going to make life very difficult for those those top of the division teams. So, you know, if you want a division to keep an eye on all year, um, track the NL Central because I think it's going to be wacky all year long. And I think it's going to be one of those divisions again that comes down to like the last weekend of the season. Absolutely. As it is, Jared Willis of Sporting News. Forbes, and so many other places, including Chicago Mag, joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And I do agree with you that it is going to be really interesting to see what happens out there in the NL Central. I would say that it's the toughest division in all baseball. But a couple teams that we saw really make some moves out there in the National League during the offseason, the Padres and the Phillies. What do you make out of these two teams? Because obviously, they both signed $300 million men. We saw the Phillies get off to a very surprising start last year. They were really good, and then they just flailed in the month of yeah. September, and yeah. that's putting it politely. And then you got the Padres, who they just weren't able to generate offense last year. I feel like they actually have some pretty good pitching, but they just didn't have the bats. Now they've got Manny Machado in the fold. What do you make out of these two teams? Yeah, they're both going to be really interesting to see how this plays out with these new guys. Philadelphia, man, I mean, talk about a team that looked like they were they were ready to do something in the beginning of the season last year and then just faded. And as we, I think some news that's come out in the last couple of days about their clubhouse culture or the environment around the team toward the end of the season last year and with guys, you know, playing Fortnite right up until first pitch or leaving the dugout to go into the clubhouse and uh, Carlos Santana going in there and breaking TVs because he's angry. Um, that kind of stuff that, that tears a, t- a team apart and it, it, it contributes to those losing streaks that ultimately kill your success. Whether or not Bryce Harper is able to come in and really shift that culture, I don't know. But I think some of the other additions that they've made, like Andrew McCutcheon in particular, uh, one of the more well-respected guys in baseball, that might be enough to to shift the culture in that clubhouse enough that they can keep pace with Atlanta and Washington, that division. And then over with, with the Padres, I still think that's the Dodgers division to win, but in a similar sort of way as perhaps the Cincinnati Reds, I think the Padres have put themselves in a position to, to be a lot harder to beat, to be a lot more difficult on some of the, these other teams. Their offense is going to be in much better shape. 
with Machado. That's like the understatement of the year. But uh, I still think they're a couple of pieces away from really contending, but they they got a lot more interest. Oh, I totally agree with you. And then something that I always notice with baseball in this day and age, bullpens are so huge. It's why the Brewers were able to make their run last year. It's why the Tampa Bay Rays were able to have such a good second half of the season last year. Who are a couple teams with good bullpens that you think could make a little bit of noise this year? Because I do think that bullpens have just become a bigger and bigger part of the MLB with, and I quote, quality starts becoming more of a stat than complete games, that's for sure. You just don't see pitchers going as far. And I think that if you find a team with a good bullpen, it really could lead to a lot of success, both at the betting window and just if you're a fan of these teams in general. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just look no further than what the Brewers did last year with that bullpen and and a rotation that was just sort of like duct taped together. And they were really, really close to going to the World Series with that. This year, I, I don't know that their bullpen is in quite the same shape because there's big question marks with Corey Knable and his health. And then uh, Jeremy Jeffress, who's got had some shoulder issues. I know they've been linked to Craig Kimbrell. There have been talks apparently with the Brewers, but nothing yet. They still have, I would say, one of the absolute best relievers in baseball and Josh Hader. But I think the three bullpens that excite me the most I think the Phillies went out and made some good additions. I love what the Yankees did to make the last three innings or so of games just absolutely brutal. And and I'm going to go back to the Cardinals, too. Cardinals signed Andrew Miller. And with Andrew Miller, Alex Reyes, and Jordan Hicks, I think the Cardinals kind of quietly have, have one of the best bullpens in baseball. So like you said, bullpens are dictating so much of a team's success now. I'm I'm liking what I'm seeing on the Cardinals roster in a lot of ways, but in particular, that bullpen that they have. I am right there with you. I am very bullish on the St. Louis Cardinals this year as well. And we've been talking a lot about the good, the teams that we think are going to be able to step up and everything like that. Is there any team out there this year that is going to be like the Baltimore Orioles were last year and just have a completely awful season? That is, other than the Baltimore Orioles, who I see losing 100 (laughs) games again this year. Yeah, the other candidate for that is probably, I mean, look over to the AL Central, whether it's the Detroit Tigers, the Kansas City Royals. Oh, those teams are bad. Ugly, ugly baseball there. So either one of those teams, it's just not going to be good. I I feel bad for the fans in those cities, especially Kansas City. They, you know, you forget they just, they won a World Series not that long ago and they've gotten so bad so quickly. So yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be some tough baseball to watch. I am right there with you. It is difficult, but I will say that in their starting rotation, I do like Keller out there for the Kansas City Royals. I feel like he's stepping up a little bit, but I don't know what happened to this entire lineup in general because what I noticed last year is that the Royals were among the teams with the fewest strikeouts per game on offense, but yet they just weren't able to generate any offense whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, talk about perplexing, like how how both of those things could be true at the same time, um, especially in, in uh, this kind of this new era in baseball where strikeouts are going up for nearly everyone else. It would seem like if you're the team that can keep your strikeouts down and keep putting the ball in play, it's going to work to your advantage and you're going to be able to score more runs, but it just didn't work out for them. Absolutely, and Jared would like to close it up with this. We're airing this as most teams have gotten in so far, just one game into the regular season. Obviously, the Mariners and the A's, they've played a couple more games, but 
What is one thing that you're really intrigued about this baseball season that you think people should watch out for? Because I feel like there's so many interesting storylines going into this year. Yeah, there really are. We're in, I think, an era of the game where certain things about the way it's played are evolving, and it's kind of exciting to see where teams are testing out new stuff. Like, a lot of people griped about the opener last year, but when baseball is being innovative, when you have teams that are trying new things, I think that's exciting. I think it's fun to watch and see how that works out. So I'm looking forward to seeing whether more teams start to take that on as an approach where they've got a guy that they send out for the first inning and then um, they bring in their quote-unquote starter four innings, two through six or something like that. That and just in general, the other things that will you know kind of evolve along the way, like whether it's four-man outfields, which we saw some teams in spring training that have been playing with that a little bit, some of these strategic moves that teams are making as they adapt. And I'm, and I'm also just really looking forward to seeing how, as, as pitching has gotten so good, how hitters are going to adapt to that because it's just bound to happen. They're, they're going to find a way to counteract what the pitchers are doing. So I'm looking forward just to seeing how that plays out. I think the biggest thing for me is just what is the, is the opener really going to become a thing or is this just going to be some goofy fad that lasted for a couple of seasons and then teams just, you know, w- moved away from. Absolutely. And you do bring up the four man outfield. It almost feels like my nine, 10 year old baseball league right there. It's, it used to be like, <laughs> Oh, you're going to play with 10 guys out there, which I thought that that was so interesting. So I'm right there with you as Jared Willis has been my guest right here on MLB overtime betting and Jared, let the good people at home know where they can find you on social media and elsewhere. Yeah, for sure. For starters, check me out on Twitter. It's J-W-Y-L-L-Y-S. I, I blame my Welsh heritage for the spelling of my last name. <laughs> uh, Twitter for sure, and I just started a, a Facebook page where I, scare, I share some of my work there. So if you're not a Twitter person but you're on Facebook, you can also find me there and, and just search the same way. It's just J-W-Y-L-L-Y-S. You should be able to find it. Yeah, those two places because I'll be very busy this season getting a lot of stuff out there, so I'm pretty excited about that. Absolutely. Jared, thank you so much for joining me. And now coming up next, we got to take some hacks as there's some major baseball games on the slate for today. And I'm going to give you a side and total on every one of them as we do so next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem. So, yeah, you better not blow it. We are back here in the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in Las Vegas for MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to Jared Willis for joining me in the last segment. And now it is that time to give you a side and total on every game on today's baseball betting board. And we do so in a little something I like to call Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Any changes that are made to these plays are going to be noted on my Twitter page at GUNITARDSQUARE81. Some of these plays are locked in, some of these plays are not, and we go in rotation order as always, as it is 951, 952 on the betting rotation. You've got German Marquez going for the Colorado Rockies as they're on the road to face off against the Miami Marlins and Trevor Richards. Total in this one. Seven and a half, and it is shaded to the under. I'm seeing some shading as low as minus 125 to the under, and pretty much across the board, it's the Rockies minus 150 favorites. I'm seeing a 155 out there as well, and the Marlins getting plus 140. 
This is a spot where I've just got to look at the Rockies. This is a team that they've got a lot of great offense. We all know what Nolan Arenado, Charlie Blackman, all these guys are able to do. In the offseason, they were able to pick up D Daniel Murphy. And this is a team that they've just got so much firepower. So I am going to take this total over. I know that Trevor Richards actually did a decent job of being able to pitch for this team. But with that said, at the plus 105 juice on the over at 7.5, this is a play that I'm going to have to take over. And we actually saw the Marlins be able to score a couple runs in their opening day game against Kyle Freeland and company. This is a Rockies team that does not have a great bullpen. So for that reason, I'm going to go straight money line instead of run line here on the Rockies. Marquez really picked it up at the second half of last year, but we did see him have his struggles towards the first half of last year. I actually do like what Sterling Castro is able to bring to the Marlins lineup. But with that said, I do still think that the Marlins are going to have their woes out there on offense this year. This is a team that I think it's probably going to be able to score like two or three runs in this game, but I see the Rockies being able to get six themselves. I think that Richards is going to get touched up in this game. God love what Trevor Story and company does for this team. You just have so many great hitters for this Rockies team, so we're going to be playing this game over, and I'm going to be taking the Rockies. Rockies are locked in, and then the over at 7.5, as long as you're getting a plus price, that'll be locked in as well. Game 9.53, 9.54 on the betting rotation. You've got Jack Flaherty going for the visiting St. Louis Cardinals as they hit the road to face off against the Milwaukee Brewers, who trot out there Freddie Peralta. Currently, it is the Brewers, minus 115 favorites across the board. St. Louis Cardinals getting plus 105, and then the total is 8.5, shaded to the over all over the place. I really like the way that Jack Flaherty was able to pitch for the St. Louis Cardinals last year, and I'm going to back him in this spot. Last year, he didn't necessarily have the best record at 8-9, but he was able to give this team 182 strikeouts and 151 innings. He just has wipeout stuff. He does a good job with his strikeout to walk rate just above 3, so he does a great job there. He doesn't necessarily give up a lot of hits either. Opponents batted 199 against him. Freddie Peralta is a guy that I have some questions with. He did a very good job at times last year, and then there were other times where he was a little bit inconsistent. So currently he's the number two man in the Brewers rotation. He won 6-4 last year with a 425 ERA, but I just still need to see a little bit more out of him. For the Cardinals, you've got Colton Wong, who was able to hit two home runs for this team in their opening day game against the Brewers. Mike Moustakis is obviously raking for the Brewers. You've got Christian Yelich and company, and you've got a lot of good backs, but I do have some questions with a few of the Milwaukee Brewers. And then for the side of the St. Louis Cardinals, we saw Paul Goldschmidt come out a little bit cold in his first game. We actually saw Paul Goldschmidt, by the way, a player that's been very consistent throughout his career, get off to a slow start last year as well, so this actually is not too uncommon for him. Yadier Molina, really aging. Dexter Fowler, what are we going to get out of him? But with that said, I do think that Matt Carpenter is going to be able to have a nice game in this one. We saw the Brewers be able to give some nice fielding as well with Lorenzo Cain closing out that game very strong. Jesus Aguilar is not a guy that I've really been too bullish on. And then you've got Orlando RC at the 8th spot who still has a struggle. So I think that Jack Flaherty actually going to be able to hold the Brewers down very well. The Cardinals have been showing that they've got a good bullpen. Brewers, I know that they're without Jeremy Jeffries right now, but they still have a stellar bullpen as well. So I'm going to be playing this game under. That is all locked in. I do think that the Cardinals are going to be able to get up off the mat. I see this being more of a 4-3 to game in which the Cardinals are going to be able to win. So I did wind up locking in both these plays. I am on the Cardinals, and I am on under 8.5 at plus 100 slash even money. 9.55, 9.56 on the bank rotation. The battle out there in Cali in the NL West as the San Francisco Giants hit the road to face off against the San Diego Padres. Derek Holland goes for the San Francisco Giants. Meanwhile, 
for the Padres, you've got Joey Lucchese, and it is the Padres laying between 145 and 150, and the Giants are plus 135 across the board. Total this one varying a little bit. If you like the over at 8, you're able to get plus 110. If you like it at 7.5, you're going to have to lay between minus 115 and minus 120. And in this spot, I do have to ride with the San Diego Padres. I'm currently looking at them at minus 150. 45. And at this point, I'm trying to hold out for a little bit more value. I think that there's a chance that some money could come in on the Giants and you could get more like a minus 135, minus 140. Either way, I'm going to be betting the Padres in this game. The only question is what the final number I'm going to be able to get on this game is. And with that said, I did wind up taking this game over and I'm going to wind up taking over 8 at plus 110 because you are getting a very nice plus price. And I do think that the San Diego Padres are going to be able to generate quite a bit of offense this year. We saw Will Meyer be able to hit a home run against the San Francisco Giants and he was the guy that was really hitting for this team. Ian Kinsler is now in the lineup. We all know that Manny Machado is now in the fold. He didn't have a good opening day as he struck out twice in their game against the Giants but with that said Madison Baumgartner a whole heck of a lot different than Derek Holland who was just absolutely torpedoed last year. Derek Holland is a pitcher that I want absolutely no part of. Meanwhile, Joey Lucchese was actually very good for the Padres. He gave up a couple more home runs than you'd like to see for a pitcher that is out there at Petco. But with that said, Derek Holland, just not a guy that I want any part of. I know that he had a 3-6 ERA, but his fielding independent wasn't good. I still recall the year before he was like 7-14. This is a guy that throughout his career just has not been a backable pitcher. I do think that Evan Longoria is doing a good job of being able to hit for the San Francisco Giants. And I do think that guys like Brandon Belt and Buster Posey are going to be able to get a couple more runs in this game as well. So I do think that Luke Casey probably does give up a home run or two. But with that said, I do think that you've got much more firepower out there with the San Diego Padres. This is Bruce Bochy's last year. So you got to think that there's going to be a little bit of an emotional factor in this one. But I do think that Eric Hosmer is going to be able to get things going for the Padres as well. And I do like the Padres bullpen a whole heck of a lot better than I like the Giants. I think the Giants bullpen going to be able to give up a couple runs in this one. So going to wind up laying the number with the Padres and taking this game over. I'm going to take the plus 110 juice on the over at 8, and I'm holding out for as good of a number as I could possibly get with the Padres at this point. 957, 958 on the bang rotation. You got the Diamondbacks going on the road to face off against the LA Dodgers. Ross Stripling on the bump for the LA Dodgers, and Robbie Ray going for the D-backs. Total on this one. Seven and a half, shaded to the under at minus 120 on that under. And with the Diamondbacks, you're getting between plus 145 and plus 150. And if you like the Dodgers, you're laying between minus 155 and minus 160. I do like the Dodgers in this spot. And just like I wound up blocking in yesterday, I'm going to go with the run line with the Dodgers. I think they're going to be able to win this game by multiple runs. So I'm going to lay the run in half. And I'm going to take the plus 130 here with the Dodgers. That is all locked in. I really like what I'm seeing from this team. You now have Corey Seager back in the lineup. He is going to be a big difference maker for this team. Even though... Jock Peterson looked very bad in spring training. I still have a lot of faith in his bat. We saw in that first game, Kike Hernandez being able to bust out two home runs. Barnes behind the plate has been doing a very good job for this team. And Peterson himself was able to drive in two home runs to show that he was able to right the wrongs that he had in spring training. Adam Jones, meanwhile, for Arizona, probably their best addition. He was able to hit a home run in their opening day game as the Two teams had 17 runs in the first matchup. Now, Dodger Stadium doesn't quite give up that many runs typically, but with that said, you do have a Arizona Diamondbacks team that do have quite a few up-and-coming 
guys that are able to hit quite well. I do like what David Peralta is able to bring to this team. Last year, he was able to crank out 30 home runs and 87 RBIs. He was able to have a hit against the Dodgers yesterday. And then with the Dodgers, you don't necessarily have the greatest bullpen out there. I know that they used Stewart and Garcia out there yesterday. Hunjin Ryu was able to go six strong. But with that said, I do think that this is going to be a matchup in which Ross Stripling, who got out to a great start last year and then tailed off, is probably going to give up about two runs. I just think that Robbie Ray, who also just flailed towards the end of last year is going to get touched up. I think both these teams get over three runs. And for that matter, I think the Dodgers score six. I think that this is one of the best offenses out there in the NL. I think that Robbie Ray is just going to get completely torched and the Dodgers win this game by multiple runs. So locking in both the over at even money and the Dodgers run line. 959, 960 on the banging rotation. You've got the Detroit Tigers taking on the Toronto Blue Jays north of the border as Going for the Blue Jays, it is their offseason acquisition, Matt Shoemaker. And for the Detroit Tigers, you have out there Matthew Boyd. It is currently the Tigers who are the underdog in this matchup. They are currently right around plus 120. I'm seeing a plus 115 out there as well. And the Blue Jays are between minus 125 and minus 130. When you take a look at the total, you've got a combination of 8.5 and 9s. If you like over 9, you're able to get between plus 105 and even money. If you like over 8.5, you have to lay minus 120. We saw in their first matchup that neither of these teams could hit to save their lives. Jordan Zimmerman had a perfect game going into the 7th inning. This Toronto Blue Jays team is so feast or famine with their offense, it's absolutely insane. You've got so many guys that are able to crank it out for the Toronto Blue Jays. You've got Kendrys Morales, who I believe had a streak of like eight or nine straight games in which he was able to hit a home run last year. Got guys like Justin Smoke. Gurriel is able to crank some home runs out. Kevin Pillar is a little bit more of a consistent hitter, but sometimes he just go comes and goes. Randall Gritchick. You've got so many guys that they have power, but they're not really consistent. Meanwhile, for the Tigers, I feel like you got a couple more guys that are able to hit for contact. Miguel Cabrera is still coming back from his injury last year. He looked a little bit rusty, but you got Nicholas Castellanos, a guy that I'm actually very bullish on. Last year for the team, he was able to pump out 23 home runs, batted nearly 300 in the two-hole. I really like. Goodrum has really been coming out for this team as well. And then the guy for the Tigers that I actually like at the nine spot, their center fielder, Mikey Madoc. He batted last year only 202, but he's a guy that during his 2017 form, was batting more around 275. I think he could give this team a little bit of a consistency and be able to get on base towards the bottom of the lineup. Meanwhile, the Blue Jays, there's just no forgiveness. I have a feeling that this is a team that is just not going to be able to consistently get on base. But with that said, neither of these starting pitchers are ones that I'm crazy about, and I think that we're going to see a little bit of a turnaround from yesterday. So I am wind up going to go over nine runs, and I'm going to take the plus 105 price. I was holding off at even money, and I'm going to see if this number is going to adjust a little bit more. So this isn't quite locked in yet, but I am certainly leaning towards the over nine at plus 105 just because you do have so many mashers for the Blue Jays. And with the Blue Jays, I think they're going to be able to win this game, so I wound up laying the 125 and locking that in. But Matt Shoemaker, he was very banged up last year. He only went 2-2 two and two with about a 5 ERA. He wasn't necessarily great when he pitched, and he's a guy that has been dealing with some injury concerns, so I think there might might be some rust there. And then Matthew Boyd, he's not a guy that necessarily goes deep into games. He had just six quality starts last year. He really doesn't 
do a great job after, I would say, the fifth inning. He's able to give you a couple strong innings from there. And then the Tigers don't necessarily have a great bullpen themselves. And they had to use Jimenez yesterday. So I don't think that he's going to be available today for them out of the bullpen. So that is a reason why I'm leaning towards the Blue Jays in this spot. I do think that the Blue Jays also have a bad bullpen. So I can see both teams being able to exceed four runs in this game. But I do think that the Blue Jays have a little bit of a better lineup in this spot. So for that reason, I locked in the Blue Jays at minus 120. And I'm going to see if it gets down to 8.5. If not, I'm going to take a plus price with 9. Or I should say, if I'm able to get decent juice with over 8.5. 861, 862 on the bang rotation. You've got the Houston Astros on the road face off against the Tampa Bay Hot Shell Rays. Charlie Martin going on the bump for the Rays. Meanwhile, the Astros, they've got Garrett Cole. Currently, it is the Astros between minus 138 and minus 145. And with the Rays, you're getting between plus 28 and 130 across the board. Currently, the total is 7, shaded at minus 115 to the over. If you like the under, that is minus 105. And I do like this total under. Charlie Morton is actually a very solid pitcher, and he knows the Houston Astros very well because, ironically enough, he used to pitch for them last year. Charlie Morton, a guy that does a very good job of being able to just throw strikes for this team. He doesn't really walk a lot of guys. Was 15-3 and with a 3.13 ERA last year. He was doing a very good job with 201 strikeouts, only 64 walks. So, got like what he's able to do there. He does a good job of being able to limit contact, and he doesn't give up a whole heck of a lot of home runs. So, I do like what he's able to do. And then Garrett Cole. This guy is just absolutely nasty. I don't know how the Rays are going to be able to exceed two runs in this game, given that... Cole is not only able to go deep into games, but he just fans so many guys. Last year, he had 276 strikeouts in 200 innings. That's nearly 12 Ks per nine innings. He does a good job of being able to go deep into games as well because he was able to go 200 innings in his 32 starts last year. So I do like what he's able to bring to the table. For Tampa Bay, you do have Austin Meadows who's doing a good job at the top of the lineup and Tommy Pham out there in the outfield as well. A very solid hitter, but with the Rays, he just don't have a whole lot of pop out there. Meanwhile, with the Astros... You've got a whole bunch of guys that are able to mash. They, ironically enough, went 1-for-10 with runners in scoring position in their opening day game against the Tampa Bay Rays, and I think that that's going to turn around. I do think that Jake Marisnik is a little bit of a liability with his bat, but you've got George Springer, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Michael Brantley now in the lineup. You've got so many guys. Tyler White at the DH spot is really starting to emerge for this team. They picked up Chirinos in the offseason at the catcher spot. With the Houston Astros, they were able to win their First game of the series, 5-1 to one against the Tampa Bay Rays. And I could honestly see something very similar in this spot. I think that Charlie Morton is going to be able to give this team some quality innings. But I do think that the Astros are going to be able to get three-plus runs in this game. I don't see the Rays being able to get to three in this game just because I do think that Cole is going to have a very good performance in this one. And the Astros really didn't have to use too many of their bullpen arms since Justin Verlander was able to give this team a quality start yesterday. As of right now, I did not lock in either of these plays because I do think that you might be able to get the Astros at more around minus 130, minus 135. So I'm merely waiting on the price and I'm merely trying to see if the under goes to even money as well because I think there's going to be a little bit of steam on the over as well. So going to be riding with both these plays just right now trying to see if I can get a little bit of a better number on each. 963, 964 on the banging rotation. You've got Matt Harvey going for the LA Angels who visit Oakland to take on Marco Estrada. The Angels are currently a very slight underdog. Depending on where you look, you can get between even money and plus 103. And then with the 
aids. If you like them, you're going to be laying right in the neighborhood of minus 112. I think the cheapest price you're able to get on them is minus 110. And I'm going to wind up riding with the Angels in this spot. I do think that the Angels are going to be able to pick up the pieces after they were just completely shut out by the A's yesterday. We all know that the A's bullpen is very good. And I do think that the Angels are going to be able to get a quality start out of Matt Harvey. We saw Matt Harvey be able to have some very good performances out there with the Reds last year. I think the change of scenery did him a lot of good. Now, obviously, he's back in a little bit more of a ruckus city in Los Angeles. But with that said, with the Angels, you've obviously got Mike Trout. He does a little bit of everything. I think that Albert Pujols is going to be able to get a hit or two. And with the A's, I do think that Chris Davis might be able to be a guy that can give this team a little bit of a home run. But what you do notice with the A's ballpark is that it plays very different from day to night. I feel like during the daytime, it plays a little bit more to the over. But I do think that with the pitching in this matchup, it's going to really lend itself to the under. I did wind up locking in the under at 8.5, and, and I was able to get a nice plus 105 price. As If you take a look at it right now, most of it is even money at under 8.5. That is pretty much standard across the board. And I would still certainly advise a play at under 8.5 at even money. If you like the over, you have to lay minus 120. And I just don't see Matt Harvey giving up more than two runs. Marco Estrada is a guy that was very up and down throughout his career with the Toronto Blue Jays. But what we've noticed is when he's able to put things together, he's able to put things together in a very good way. He's been a journeyman pitcher and obviously last year did not go his way. But with that said... During the years of 2015 and 2016 with the Blue Jays, he was white hot. And I do think that the Angels do have a little bit of a problem with being able to get on base. Right now, Cole Calhoun is right now at the top of the lineup. He's not necessarily a guy that's really going to be scaring you. Justin Bauer is not a guy that's really hitting for contact. Zach Cozart and Tommy LaStella, they're just guys merely. And Jonathan Lucroy is a guy that I think is going to come around with his bat, but he just hasn't seemed to have done so to this point. And then with the A's, this is a team that really is home run or bust right now. They don't have a whole lot of guys that are batting for great contact. You've got Grossman at the top of the lineup. I do like what Matt Chapman does all the way around. Scott Piscotti, also a guy that's able to drive in some home runs, but I do think that Matt Harvey's going to be able to do a good job of being able to mitigate the long ball in this one. So for that reason, I am going to ride with the Angels at plus 105. That's locked in, and I locked in the under as well. And then we wrap it up with 965-966. It is Nathan Eovaldi going on the hill for the Boston Red Sox as he takes on the Seattle Mariners at T-Mobile Park, which is still weird to say, and he's taking on, wow, we're going to need a little bit of help with this last name because I'm going to be pronouncing it a lot this year. Yusai Kikuchi? As you can tell, that sort of had a question mark at the end of it. I hope I said that correctly, but I am not very sure of that. It sounds like this is going to be a case of an opener as well as I'm seeing from Greg Johns of the MLB Network that Kikuchi is going to be limited to one inning every few starts in the coming season to be able to preserve them. So that means that what we're going to be getting is a bullpen game here, which means that I really love the Boston Red Sox here. Nathan Eovaldi was absolutely sensational in the postseason. Guy is able to throw 100 miles an hour. He's really come off strong from Tommy John's surgery. But with that said, I do have to take a look at the over here. With the over being juiced at minus 120 across the board, I am holding off on this. I'm trying to see if this either moves to a plus price at 8.5 or if I'm able to get more of a minus 110 number because this is a game in which I could see very barely getting over the total. I could see the Boston Red Sox getting up off the mat after they had a rough go of it 
on opening day and just really pounding the tar out of the ball. Right now for the Boston Red Sox, you've got such a good lineup with Benintendi. Mookie Betts is able to rake. We all know what J.D. Martinez and company does. And for the Seattle Mariners, they were able to get off to a really nice start in that game against the Boston Red Sox. And in general, they've been a very good surprise for this entire American League. They start out 3-0. and We all know that they've got Tim Beckham now in the lineup. He's really been mashing for the team. He was able to hit a pair of home runs. On Thursday, he also had one when the team was in Japan as well. Edwin Encarnacion went deep off of Chris Sale as well. So, gotta like what you're seeing out of this team. And then you've got out there at left field a very nice addition that's able to crank the ball out in Domingo Santana as well. He was able to give this team a home run back when the team was in Japan as well. He was able to drive in a runner in scoring position as well. Now you've got Jay Bruce and Ryan Healy over there at the five and six spots as well. So you've got a lot of pop in this Seattle Mariners lineup. For the Boston Red Sox, you've got a lot of pop as well. So I think that this is a game that is going to be able to go over. I do feel like this is going to be a good pitching matchup with Eovaldi. I think he's going to be able to hold down the Mariners to right around three or four runs. But I do have some question marks with this Red Sox bullpen as well. But I also do have some massive question marks with the pitching of the Mariners as well. And I think the Red Sox are going to be able to win out in this spot. So for that reason, I'm holding off on that total of over eight. I'm looking for either better juice or an eight and a half at plus price. But I wound up blocking in the Boston Red Sox at minus 143 when it was available. Obviously, so advise a play if you have between minus 145 and minus 150, which I'm seeing across the board with the Mariners between plus 132 and plus 135, depending on where you look. So those are my plays on that game. And a big thanks to all of you guys that have listened to MLB Overtime Betting both today and yesterday. If you have any feedback for the podcast, since this is another new one, let me know at GUNNRSquare81. If there's anything you want me to answer on the podcast, just tweet it in. More than happy to do so. And a big thanks to Jared Willis of Sporting News for joining me in the second segment. You can follow him on Twitter at J Willis, and that is spelled W-Y-L-L-Y-S. And let's make today a successful and profitable one. Like I said, day two of the baseball betting season. It is so good to have it back in our lives, and I'm going to be coming at you guys every single day with a fresh podcast. So be on the lookout for that, and let's make today a good one. Thank you so much for tuning in.